Washington game was a bummer, and I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It's something that really should kind of sting with these guys. At the same time, no, 7-2-1 over the last 10 games, and something else, too. Something else that's a real positive. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also happen to offer daily shots of Steelers and Pirates in the same place that you found this. The Penguins are in Boston. They'll be taking on the Bruins tonight. That's a 7.08 p.m. face-off at TD Garden. You can bet your life that Alex Nedeljkovic will be in goal. And you can bet your little, nah, you can bet like a couple of bucks that they'll be sharper, that they'll be crisper than they were in those opening 19 minutes against the Capitals. What you won't know, what you can't know, is what they'll be like against the next uh, opponent that comes along. Been making this point for a while, but man, it really sticks out after Washington, doesn't it? Because you can say what you want about where the Capitals are in the standings, but they're, you know, you saw them. There just wasn't much there. In part, to be fair, because they're missing TJ Oshie, Max Pacioretty, missing some really good players. But overall, between that and, you know, Darcy Kemper with his 890 save percentage at the far end, you just didn't look at them and think, ooh, scary Washington, the way you used to not all that long ago. And this team needs that. This team needs to have some sort of outside push, outside mental push to completely laser in on the task at hand. Look, I don't enjoy analyzing hockey from the intangible standpoint. I really don't. I'd much rather come up with, yeah, the breakouts are this or that, the four checks are falling apart and... What, what, or, or they're great. And, and that's way more fun. And to be honest with you, way more in my wheelhouse. But when you see the canyon between performing one way for 41 minutes and another way for the first 19, when you see the body language that was involved in that first 19, especially from Tristan Jari, who looked like he'd rather have been somewhere else. I'd rather sound a whole lot more professorial the way, for example, Ricard Raquel did with me in discussing that game and what went wrong. I think that's when we're tough to play against and when, uh, when, when we make the game plan to fit our game and like we, we know we knew that they were backing off in the neutral zone when then we tried to come back further and come come with more speed and I thought that it worked for us more, more on the forward check and when we came together and our Gs could join I thought at the start we were a little bit too spread out and they found the middle of the ice or cross ice passes and just had a so easy entries. So. He's on it. He gets it. He gets it. Actually, all three of the Swedes really, really get it. They're all students like that. You can throw in, even though he's not Swedish, Lars Eller into that group. He's Danish, obviously. They, they study, even on the rink, what it is that's going on and why and everything else. And they've really got their pulse on 
this particular situation as well. As you heard from Raquel, in referring back to the overall really, really good run that this team's been on, there's been a pattern in play, both to when things go well and when they go poorly. And when they go well, they're tight. They're moving up the ice almost as a five-man unit. Not quite, but almost. Let's say three or four. They've got defensemen joining the rush, even leading the rush. But they're coming into the attacking zone with numbers. They're supporting the puck. And then from there, they're not throwing away the puck. And when they do that, all of that, not leaving out any exceptions here, they're really efficient. And they're dangerous because they have the natural talent to find a way to create scoring chances. Now, they don't obviously always have the grit that's needed to go to the areas where the plays get finished. That's probably going to remain an ongoing issue. But they can do all that other stuff so long as they stay tight. If they stay tight coming out of the zone and attacking, then I believe it leads to greater consistency in the defensive zone. Then the defense just feels like another step in the formula. And they'll go through it just fine. In other words, they're going back to their own zone, not just to defend, but to reclaim the puck. That's the mindset. That's the mindset. And this team, I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. It it feels at times as if the more intensive motivation on this roster exists with the older guys. You might think it'd be the other way around, you know, younger, energetic, never won anything before, trying really hard to stay in the NHL. And it's not. It's not. Everything still emanates in the intangible aspects from Sidney Crosby, from Evgeny Malkin, from Chris Letang, from some of the other veterans who were part of those 2016 or 2017 champions. And that's not it. That's not enough. And that's why I keep poking around at depth forwards and depth defensemen. Because they really should not be what holds this team back. They've got the simplest, easiest jobs of all. What a weird, weird time for this franchise, huh? When we come back, J1Q. Q comes from Jason who says, yeah, DK, we can go on a run and we can sneak into the playoffs. We can tread water for a season or two, but Sidney Crosby can't be expected to carry this team every single game. We need to build this team through the draft, right? Get younger and faster. It's going to take a few years, but I think building the team up is better than patching the current team over for the next few seasons. You know, Jason, believe it or not, I've got Absolutely not one complaint about even one syllable that you spoke there. In theory, in concept, you're correct. There's no questioning this premise except for what you know I'm about to say. 
which is that it's not going to happen. I can bring up all kinds of ideas related to the entire world. It sure would be nice if they got along and these two countries that are at war, those two countries that are at war. But it's not going to happen. Sid is here on a contract for two more years. There is a 0.000% chance that he'll ever play in another uniform. The Fenway Sports Group people have done some dumb things since they've been here, but they're not that dumb. They'll sign Sid, they'll keep Sid, and as such, they'll continue to commit, no doubt in my mind, to attempting to win more Stanley Cups for however long Sid's here. And depending in all candor here on the mood that I'm in, I can swing in one direction or the other here, but then I usually end up swinging back towards Sid. Why? Well, it's, it's not, again, because your notions there are wrong. I'll repeat that I think you're right. So it's more because I'd really like to see, however naive this might come across, Kyle Dubas carve out a path where both things can happen concurrently. It's really, really easy to shrug it off and say, there's no way, can't do that. Look at all these contracts. Now they're going to go sign Jake Gensel to an extension. They're going to keep poking their heads right up against, they're just a little bit over 500. And any time for the remainder of Sid's career that they get close or think that they're close, all of us, and I am no exception to this, are going to say, well, go for it, go for it, move the first round pick, move the second round, or do whatever you got to do here because we got to get Sid one more cup and you're going to do that. They're going to do that. They're not going to hold back on that. Not one of them. Not one of them is built that way, and I can even include Dubas because a lot of the moves that he made in recent years with the Maple Leafs. But the example that I often cite, and today's a good day to do it again, is Boston. I love, even though the Bruins weren't able to get that one last cup for Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci and Zdeno Chara and Tuka Rask and those guys who made the Bruins multiple-time champions earlier in the past decade. But they gave themselves multiple runs, multiple ways in which they could have done it. Maybe never more so than last season. They just happened to run into a team that ended up becoming a legit buzzsaw. Between Sergei Bobrovsky and Matthew Kachuk, they just hit the Panthers at the wrong time. But if you look at the Bruins roster, and even tonight, keep it somewhere in the back of your mind who these guys are, how old they are, how long they've been around, and how much more of an impact they can still have over time because they're not just about David Pasternak and they're not just about Brad Marchand. There are good players there. I'd like to see the Penguins continue to keep their draft picks to make sure that they get themselves a Braden Yeager type or one or two of those in a given draft every year. 
Keep building the farm. Stop looking down at Wilkes-Barre Scran and saying, oh, here's this dude who was on New Jersey's fourth line last year. We should bring him up. No, man, get some real prospects. Make them better. Instill longer-term hope. Take some of that burden off the captain. Let the captain feel the way Bergeron did in Boston over the past, I don't know, three, four seasons. Bergeron never, you could just tell, felt like or acted like he was the guy in Boston. He was a guy. He was a great guy, but a guy with the Bruins. That can happen here. That can happen. But it's going to involve some patience and stubbornness and self-reigning, I guess you could say. I appreciate the question. I appreciate everybody who listens to Daily Shot of Penguins. We're going to do another one of these tomorrow. 